Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. This is a very special and emotional episode for me, not just because of the guests that we have coming right up, but also because we've reached episode 200 of the Storybox. And I just want to take a little moment before we get into today's story and just say how grateful I am to each and every one of you that believed in me enough to, you know, be part of the show. Uh, if you are a listener, you are still part of the show. You know, I had, I just started from literally nothing and the Storybox has grown to becoming what it is today and I'm extremely grateful for where it's come from to where it is today and and I'm looking forward to seeing what it actually becomes in the not too distant future but uh, episode 200 is a huge milestone for me let alone you know getting to just starting the the show with not even I think not even 18 months into the story box so far and we've it's just been it's just been incredible as as you can probably tell with with my emotions i'm kind of lost for words but um just thank you all so much for continuing to turn up every single week sometimes three times a week and there was a little moment there we had four times probably over uh, overextended you guys a little bit but uh just thank you each and every one of you all right switching gears a little bit to my guest today uh, her name is Danica Patrick. Now, for those of you that don't know who Danica is, she's pretty intense. <laughs> and I say that with the utmost respect and admiration for this incredible woman. But Danica Patrick uh, broke barriers and set records with her on-track performance. With her racing career now behind her, Danica looks to the next chapter as she focuses on her passions, good food, great wine, fitness, and helping others achieve their goals. Danica joined the mainstream ranks by succeeding in the male-dominated world of professional motorsports. Danica was named 
to Time's 100 Most Influential People list, has graced the cover of many prestigious publications and was featured in pictorials in the 2008 and 2009 Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. She has appeared in a record-setting 14 Super Bowl commercials, 13 of which were a long-time partner for GoDaddy. At just the age of 10 years old, Danica's racing career began after her parents bought her a go-kart. After winning numerous regional and national go-kart titles, Danica left the Midwest at 16 years old to compete in the cutthroat world of European road racing. In 2005, Danica stunned the world by leading 19 laps and finishing fourth in her first Indianapolis 500. She became the first woman to lead laps and score a top five finish in the historic race. In 2008, Danica made history again, becoming the first woman to win a major league open wheel race in a North American series with her victory in the IndyCar Series Indy Japan 300 race. Can I already say that she's pretty intense just by reading all that stuff so far? In 2013, it keeps going. Danica transitioned to the NASCAR Cup Series. She made headlines around the world with a record-setting performance in the 55th uh, Daytona 500 race. She became the first woman to win a NASCAR Cup Series pole when she set the first fastest time in qualifying 500 and then finished in eighth place, the highest finishing position ever for a woman in the great American race. Danica also in 2018, uh, she closed out her time in racing with the Danica double, as they call it, and competed in two marquee events that were cornerstones of her career, the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500. In 2018 as well, she shattered another glass ceiling when she became the first female host of the ESPN's sports awards show that aired live on ABC. So moving to the next chapter of her life from retiring uh, with racing, Danica focused on shifting uh, to her role as an entrepreneur and business owner. She has a number of pretty cool businesses. She launched a clothing line called Warrior by Danica Patrick. She authored a book called Pretty Intense and is the sole proprietor of uh, Somminium, a vineyard in Napa Valley, California. And she also has a pretty cool podcast called Pretty Intense with Danica Patrick. You can go check that out as well. Um, I highly recommend her, her podcast. She gets pretty deep uh, in the conversations. I like some of the people that she's had on there, Jordan Peterson, Lewis Howes, uh, pretty much everyone famous, Josh Dahmel. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, please share it around with your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Uh, also, everything that you need is all in the show notes below. Links uh, to Danica's site, podcast, her book, everything. You can watch the full video now over on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review before you go. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time the journey into the story box for episode 200 as we learn about the incredible story of the pretty intense woman herself, Danica Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I don't always like sitting through the, the uh, and she did this and she did that. Although at the end of it, I do feel a bit full of myself. So 
I guess it has its pros and cons. I'm sure it does. I mean, I, I was thinking about it. Just kidding. <laughs> I was, you know, I was thinking about actually going through each and every achievement, but I'm like, that's going to take far too long. Um, I just want to get into the nitty gritty of, of your amazing story today. Thank you once again for being here. Before yeah. we dive into all the good stuff, uh, one of the first questions I love asking all my guests is, what does success look like for you? Uh, um, man, you know, as I'm thinking right now, and I let my thoughts go from like, being happy to achieving something to setting a goal and achieving it, maybe like the ultimate way to 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 sort of draw that out and give it more something a little bit more interesting is anytime you move the goalposts. Like, I mean, that's that's success, right? Anytime you move the goalposts, because I think to myself, it's very hard for me to feel like truly successful in accomplishing a goal because there's it's it's um you know it's kind of probably that whole like be present you know thing that's really hard for so many of us to do especially me um but it's uh there's like a destination syndrome or for some people they look back and sort of have like you know association with the memories and um that includes a lot of baggage as well, but, uh, but, but it's very fleeting in that moment of actually accomplishing what you think will be like some benchmark of making you successful. So maybe it's not in the accomplishment. It's in, you know, the fact that you move the goalposts at all to make it, uh, does that even apply over there without American football? Maybe I don't even know, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Moving the goalposts. Okay. Uh, I think that might be a good barometer of success because seemingly if you accomplish something, there's just another thing to accomplish. Usually it just never stops, right? There's always another thing that you, you have a goal in or want to achieve. One thing that you mentioned there that sort of fascinates me is you said that you struggle to be present and <laughs> I'm curious, why do you struggle to be present? <laughs> I'm joking a little. Uh, I'm, I'm like, when people come to my house, they're like, wow, it's like so Zen here. And wow, you seem really peaceful and happy. And, you know, I mean, these are all things that I've been working on for a really long time. Mm. Uh, but I definitely suffer from a little bit of destination syndrome of thinking when I get here or not necessarily even when I get there, but just setting goals. Like I think to myself, okay, in five years, in 10 years, in my life, these are the things. And so I tend to get really, it, it tends to pull me along, but the lesson in life has been for me to uh, learn when to let go of the rope uh, because it's burning my hands. And so, you know, we, uh, I think that we all can have a little bit of a hard time knowing when to let go of things, whether it's a job or a person or where you live or the fact that you've never been on an airplane or whatever it may be sort of can be the thing that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. So yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, 
that's mm-hmm. I, that's why it's hard for me harder for me to be present because I it's the next thing for me. And I think that people fall into two brackets. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could answer where you fall in this, but a lot I think people tend to be either future casters like me where they're thinking about where they want to go and what they want to accomplish or there's someone who thinks about the past a lot and tends to um you know live I think one creates a little more anxiety, the other one may create a little bit more sort of um uh, sadness, even on some level or, um, shame. I think there's a lot more shame associated with the past, but, but I think people fall into two brackets. Which one would you, do you fall into one of those buckets or am I just making stuff up? I think I, I tippy toe from one to the other. It just depends Mm -hmm. on what moment of my life I'm actually in. And if you're looking at the past and all the things you've experienced in the past, Depending on the day and my mood for that day, sometimes like randomly I'll have this this thought come up that has happened years ago and I thought I had forgotten about it, but obviously I haven't forgotten about it, which will then make me lose my sense of present self and go back in time and revisit it. And Mm. then somehow when I get rid of that and get back to the present moment, which takes a lot of time, then I start thinking about my goals moving forward. So then I don't get stuck again, but then it just happens again and again and again. Like mm-hmm. it's just constant reoccurrence. I don't know if that happens to you at all. I mean, I think a lot less about the past. Like I'm someone that you could ask, do you have, you know, what are your regrets in life? And I'd say, I don't really have any. I mean, there's things that I'm like, ooh, bummed I did, bummed that I had to go through that. But there's nothing that are bummed. I made that decision. Um, but I think they all led me to where I'm at. So that's why I don't regret and regret for me implies that there's something I would like to change, but I can't. And so then there's a sticking point with regret. Um, so they're just lessons to me. I also find that there's a lot, there's a little bit of a difference between the way that people operate personally and professionally. Um, so for me, I was, I've always been someone that's been, um, has a much healthier relationship with professional, um, emotions, professional goals, professional transitions, but personally is much more difficult for me. So, you know, you find that you have those people that are like, you know, happy as happy as a clam, you know, in a relationship, they're doing great, but then their work suffers. And so I think, you know, similarly on the other side, there's people that are very successful in business, but their personal life's a mess and they can't, you know, have difficulty with, you know, staying in a partnership or whatever it may be. So I think they kind of fall into the sort of past future, uh, and then, um, you know, a little bit of professional, personal, but look, being a human is hard. Okay. (laughs) When I was a little like spark in the sky of consciousness that, um, said, no, I'm gonna go do this human thing. I didn't think it'd be this hard. (laughs) You weren't given the plan. You're just thrust. I knew the plan. I just had such ferocious confidence that I was going to accomplish it, but I didn't quite know. I forgot, like I forgot and I don't know the outcome. So of course I, I just, you you know, as humans, we just go through the process and it's, it's difficult. This, uh, this, this being human stuff, it's, 
you know, being a, being, um, you know, the, the whole system is quite simple, I think, but the actual experience of it is complicated because, um, it's in our relationships that we see ourselves because we can't actually see ourselves. So it's through triggering and projecting and, you know, missteps and patterns that we actually start to figure things out. And that's, I'm talking about we, as in like, not many, I mean, it's a complicated process to start to understand those, um, uh, aspects of existence, but, um, it's kind of what calls me. So where has your confidence come from? Has it come from experience actually saying, I'm going to do, do this, do a goal that I've set for myself. Where has it come from for you? Um, well, I think first off, it starts with doing something you like. Mm. And so, you know, if you don't, you know, you know, doing something that you enjoy tends to give you a lot of drive, um, a lot of passion for something, um, commitment, consistency. Uh, but then I think that uh, beyond that, it's like looking further into the future and seeing where I want it to go helps sort of blur the present moment for, for what it's worth to accomplish that, that great thing that I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Um, and the belief that it's going to happen. So it's like vision dream. That is the, the, a very important step. And then the most important aspect actually is believing that it's possible. So, and that is hard. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm still a little bit conflicted in that, in where that believing comes from. Is it something that we can train ourselves to do? Probably. Is this something that comes from our inner knowing that comes from a, an aspect or a dimension of our existence that is, you know, maybe that pre-planned blueprint or something like that, that is like, okay, you're going to become a race car driver and you're going to believe it's possible because you just like, no, you, okay, look, you, you know, this is where you're going, even though you can't remember there's a, there's a distant resonance with the, with that thing. Um, so I don't know. I don't, maybe it's both, but of course that's an aspect of existence that we're not going to figure out until we die and I'm not ready. So, um, so until then I will train myself to believe in certain things and I will follow those things that are easy to believe or easier to believe. But it's that like, you know what I'm talking about where you want to do something and you know, you're like, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I, um, I want to, I want to build this company and, and, and you can say like, or I deserve, like I I've been working really hard and I deserve to start this. Like I know it. And then actually like the actual truth of the root of it is like, but I don't know if I can, or it's like, I'm not sure I'm smart enough or I'm not sure I have the money or I'm not sure. And then, but it's like that power of belief is so powerful to be able to go into it and be like, I know it's going to happen. I just know it. I don't know how, but I just know it. Mm -hmm. That believing is the magic sauce that makes things happen. So, um, yeah. And anyway, that's kind of a long winded, complicated answer, but, um, but I, I, I feel, I believe there's been an inner knowing in me. I mean, I drove race cars. Like, what did mm. I do? I mean, I did something so weird for anybody, especially for a girl. And so, um, so how I had such blind faith in that as what, that's what I called it when I was a kid, blind faith. Uh, I don't know because I didn't work. Like I, I grew up in mid in the Midwest in Illinois, um, in America. And then I went to England when I was 16 for three years, came back when I was 19. I had no job for like two years. I, 
And by job, I mean, I wasn't getting paid before that, but I did not, I had nothing, no driving going on for almost two years. And it would have been easy to not believe that it was going to happen. Yet I just always believed it was going to happen. I always knew I had something special and too much to offer for it to not work out. And I have no idea why I thought that. It's easy to doubt. It's so much easier. It's like almost conditioned from birth for us as human beings to doubt and belief in of itself. And I say this all the time, humans have a problem with ultimately believing what they can't see. So if I can't see a, something that's going to be in front of me or my goal, you know, I have a vision for it, but I can't see the, the small steps that are going to get me to that end goal. It's kind of like you have rejection that sets in, or if you have a bad day, then the doubt sort of starts to creep in even more. And then that belief ultimately starts to, you start questioning the belief. And mm. I like how you have always known that the belief is there. Like you've, you've just got to harness it, unlock it which is mm -hmm. not an easy thing to do at all. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've experienced with doing this, doing the things that I actually want to do. And I'm still quite young. So it's easy for me to get impatient and say, Hey, I want things now. <laughs> so when you're faced with rejection with no, do I still believe that the vision that I had when I first started this is going to happen? Well, of course, every single day. But the timeline is tricky. I find that that's also one of the aspects of being human. That's really hard mm. uh, is, 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 is we have a manufactured timeline of how we think something is should go, when it should happen, how it should happen. And if it doesn't happen in that, on that timeline, we, we, we start to associate that with failure. Mm. Um, maybe it's not for us, um, doubt and all that stuff. And so, you know, I think releasing, having a belief is good and then releasing the timeline. So, you know, there's also that aspect of like wanting something to happen and manifesting things that when we want something to happen so badly and you're grasping so much and you can't, you just like, you want it and you're working so hard. Well, with that grasping, there is uh, all, there's an implied belief that it, you're not going to get it because you're efforting so much. You're like, oh, my God, I want this so bad. There's an implied other side of that that says, I am so afraid I'm not going to get it. And so the universe gets a little confused and it ends up being mute. And so mm -hmm. when you can come up with something that you want to do and just believe in it, and then release it and carry on with your life, then it has a higher probability of coming to you quicker because you've released resistance. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's a fascinating, I was, I fascinating way to look at things, right? Because it almost feels like you're not trying then, except for, I just trust that once I've put it out there into the universe, this thought, this want that it's being created, that the opportunity, like I've anchored it already. And so it's a matter of it just, um, hitting me, getting to me. And, um, and it also, um, I think we also have an idea of how we want our life to go. So not only that timeline, but like, this is what I want. And it's like, you know what, Ch change your mind. 
mm-hmm. make it look different, make it look bigger, make it look this way. You know, it doesn't have to, like, if you're creative and you're thinking, I want to write a book, you know, what happens if it ends up being a podcast? Mm. It's still communicating, right? Or, you know, so it's like, it doesn't always have to come in the way that you think it's going to come. You just have to have the intention for what it is that you're trying to to to, to make happen from a fundamental standpoint, as opposed to a nuts and bolts standpoint. Mm. You, you actually segued into a question I wanted to ask you about fear, which I'll get to in just a moment, but sort of tying this all together in, in a nice bow. I've decided to make the choice in my life right now that no matter whichever state that I am in in my life, whatever moment I'm in, that is exactly where I need to be. Mm-hmm. If it's hard, if it's good, doesn't matter what it is. It is exactly where I need to be. Coming to that realization was not easy mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. It's still sure. not easy. It's a journey in of itself that I know for a fact, and I believe this, that I'm where I need to be. It's not. It might not exactly be where I want to be sometimes, but it's where I need to be. So. I thought I'd I'd tie that in quite nicely with everything you were saying as well. It's so very, true. Very beautiful. And then you sort of mentioned fear there for a moment. And I I'm, I wanted to ask you about how has your relationship with fear changed over the course of your life? Hmm. Well, there's kind of different, there's different kinds of fear. You know, there's um, you know, there's like physical fear. Um there's emotional fear. Uh, so, you know, my fear level of being, you know, hurt or injured has definitely gone down since I stopped driving 240 miles an hour with walls around me. Uh, and you know, 30 plus of my best friends out there. So, you know, I mean, I suppose that physical fear. And also what's funny is that I wonder how much I was, I was just talking about this the other day, I wonder how much of my bandwidth for physical fear, like putting myself in dangerous situations, I was using towards my job because since I pretty much since the very end of my career and like now, I mean, I find myself doing more, way more than I ever used to, like learning how to look and and keep in mind, these aren't all super dangerous, but they're physical and they're things that you have to figure out how to do because you don't know how to do them because you've never done them before. But like wake surfing or skiing or uh, heights of any kind, um, you know, rappelling down mountains, jumping out of helicopters, bungee jumping. Mm -hmm. I find that I seek out more of those opportunities and they scare me less than they used to. And I think that I probably used up my my physical fear bandwidth uh, on my job. That is is a fascinating uh, line of thought. Um, Because my relationship with fear has changed over time. And I still have a fear of spiders, hate them. I still have a fear of heights, don't know why. And, but I don't have a fear of driving fast. <laughs> and I've always been curious about this. Where, do, where did your need for speed start or come from? And when you first, like compared to when you first jumped in the car and drove 240 miles an hour when you actually got to that speed, what was going through your mind then compared to when you did it, say maybe four or five times later? Hmm. 
Well, let's just maybe go from the beginning, the end of my career, even like, so at the beginning going 200 miles an hour, like felt like, you know, it was not, I mean, I wasn't thinking about the fear aspect of it because I hadn't had enough experiences yet. I hadn't created enough memories of when things went wrong to even know what to be scared of. Mm. And so then I think by the end of my career, and even let's fast forward to the year after I retired. So I retired at the Indy 500 in 2018. I went and did the broadcast in 2019. And when I was sitting on pit lane doing the broadcast, as the green flag is about to drop and I'm grabbing my bag of snacks, I've been working for like three hours on the broadcast already. And I pull out some apple chips and start eating them. I'm like, this is very different than last year. And I remember thinking, and I'm watching the cars going, they're crazy. Mm. And so I, you know, it's just, I didn't have the opportunity to be scared. So when you have enough experiences that give you the memories, um, then you kind of know what to be scared about and then, or what could happen. And then, you know, just, uh, also purely opening up to the scope of what it is that you are actually doing, mm. <clears throat> if that makes sense. Like, you know, I think for, I think in some jobs, you know, once you've gone away from it, you end up going, whether it's, even if it's just not fear, let's say it's just workload or whatever, the people, the environment that you were in with the people that you worked with. Um, when you go come away from it, you're like, wow, I dealt with a lot or wow. I, you know, it's sometimes you don't give yourself the opportunity to see just how much had to go into it to make it happen. Like, man, that was a lot, a lot of work to get up every morning and, you know, skip this. And I missed these things. And oh my God, physically, I was exhausted all the time. And, you know, you just can't think about that because it's totally unproductive when you're trying to accomplish something. Mm. So can you, can you share with me, um, a particular story or moment? So when you, you got in the car, you're racing and you, you, felt like you didn't have control of the car or were you always in control? Well, here's the problem with racing. Once you're, once you feel out of control, you have to slow down. Mm. So that's what makes you slower. Cause you're like, if I keep, if I push as hot, if I push any harder, I'm going to crash. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the name of the game is constantly pushing that threshold of comfort uh, and building that muscle to like be in that spot more of the time and give it a bigger zone. You know, mm -hmm. like if you're only, you know, the comfort of going around the corner and getting a little loose to like hanging it out to, you know, doing it now at 150, now do it to, at 200. And so it's just building that muscle for being uh, able to tolerate the discomfort. Do you miss it? Do you miss the discomfort? Do you miss the getting in the car, feeling it, going that speed? Um, no, I, I don't look forward to that. That wasn't fun, but I miss the, the only thing I miss is sort of when it's really good and you've thread the needle perfectly and you've nailed it. And it's just like, you floated your way through that lap and it was so perfect. Like execution at the highest level, um, is a cool feeling. Um, but I don't miss the discomfort it takes to, you know, <laughs> go through the trial and error and hitting it. <laughs> One of my favorite movies is uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, sure. 
uh, I love the the intensity of it, like being able to sit in a car for that long period of time, driving at that speed, and then the three and the needle factor. Oh, yeah. It's the most beautiful thing, beautiful moment. Uh, and it's seeing it on film, <laughs> it's insane. Um, was um, So I want to sort of backtrack a little bit to uh, what we are talking about before. Has there been a person that you want to ask a question to that is sort of like a burning question, a burning desire that you haven't been able to ask yet to that particular person? Is anyone? Any one person that I have a question for, dead or alive? Dead or alive. Dead or alive. <laughs> well, when I think about which time point in time I'd like to go back to, I would love to go back to uh, my first stop would be ancient Egypt, mm. which I went to Egypt in February for the first time, finally. Um, and I was there for a couple of weeks and saw all the temples and, and pyramids and everything. And uh, I would love to have gone during that point in time, 5,000 years ago, building of the pyramids, um, just to see what the hell was really going on. Um, so what would I, I don't know, I guess I, who, whoever was, I don't know who exactly it was that I'd like to talk to, but that's where I'd like to go back to, but who would I like to talk to? I mean, who wouldn't want to talk to my next stop was going to be, uh, being not Jesus, but a disciple. That would have been an interesting time to see what was really going on. So, you know, I mean, it's pretty hard pressed to not want to sit down and have a chat with Jesus. Yeah. I've had quite a few people actually answer that question with Jesus. I think he's one of the most curious people to have a conversation with. And what kind of questions would you want to ask him? Like, what's the meaning of all this for for starters? I would probably, I think that in hindsight, because I get that now, right? Since I'm allowed the hindsight of, you know, having the, to think of the question from this point in time is, uh, I think a, a really good question would be, what are you doing here? What mm. was the point of you coming? Because I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's, I don't know if it's that cut. I mean, I mean, we're taught like the Bible was written 30, 40, 50, 60 years, the stories were, you know, written that long after. Look, if someone told a story about me and they were literally here and saw it and then left and went and told a story about me that same day, they're not going to get every detail right. Science tells us that memory is very unreliable. So now you put decades between the event and the, and the, and the, and the recollection or the words, it's like, come on, we didn't get it exactly right. It's impossible actually. Mm. And so I would say, like, what were you doing? Like, what was, why did you come? Uh, and then, um, Hmm. I think that would tell a lot of the story. I think that would be really, really the best question because mm -hmm. that would unpack what we're here for too, probably, because I'm betting that there was, there's a message in there for us. What do you think about the ultimate salvation message that is actually in the Bible? As, that he's, as Jesus coming to save the world. What do you, what do you think about that? Do I think he came to save the world? Yeah. From my perspective, essentially, um, to uh, I don't think you have to read the Bible, believe in it to make sure that you go to heaven and stuff like that. I think that's 
you know, I think that's a little ridiculous to think that if someone doesn't have the book in the world to know the story, to believe in it, that they're going to hell, that does not make sense to me. Mm. Um, so, but I think that, uh, inclusion was, um, was part of the stories, um, love and kindness. And, um, I mean, I think that there's probably a lot of messages in there that translate to being a savior. Cause essentially this is the disconnect that I have with religion versus spirituality is that I think that the practice is an inside job. I don't think that I'm here to have someone else forgive me. I don't, I think that the hardest job, it tends to be forgiving yourself and, and believing in yourself and loving yourself. And every time we have um, difficult interactions with people, um, it tends to tell us a lot about ourselves. if we're triggered, um, if we're projecting based on our own insecurities or our preferences or our patterns, whatever they are, those tend to come from our us. And so uh, that's, I mean, I think that that was stuff that was being shown and taught. Um, so yeah, I think it's an inside job. I think that um, the more that we can look within ourselves, the, and if everyone did it, problem solved. Imagine if no one got mad anymore, which essentially says that you have healed all those aspects within you that get poked at. Like, it's like, you know, I always use the same example, but if someone's really lazy, I'm like, oh God, they're lazy. Like, it's because I don't allow myself to be lazy. Or if somebody, you know, um, is disrespectful to me and I get triggered, it's because I would never allow myself to do that to somebody. I wouldn't be mean to them. Mm -hmm. um, so like, it's all information about ourselves. So as soon as we end up, you know, in this place where we can exist without triggers and without any kind of like charged emotion, then it sort of starts to tell the story about how much work you've done on yourself to love yourself, to forgive yourself, to heal things about yourself. But of course, the catch is, is that we need other people to do it. Mm. So what is your current spiritual practice? Um, I would say for, for a good sort of nine months, um, like last sort of probably from last summer until the beginning of this year, I was pretty regimented in I was pretty consistent. I like to use that word a little bit more because I don't believe that I have to do anything. Um, you know, I would get up and I would meditate and journal and, um, but then again, I kind of was going through some tough stuff. So I really needed that. I needed that therapy. Not only did I have two therapists, but I also was doing my own therapy. So, and talking to people that, um, you know, were reaching out and people that I knew were really smart about certain aspects of life. Uh, but I found that it like, since I came, basically since I came back from Egypt, being on a pilgrimage through all the temples and pyramids for, you know, a couple of weeks, I, I was like, I'm good for a while. So I, I was just thinking to myself this morning, I'm like, I'm looking over at my meditation table. I have like an altar set up with pictures and crystals and, you know, all kinds of different stuff, all the hippie stuff. Um, I was like, man, I maybe I should go sit down over there again. Um, but I've just been feeling really good. So I, I think that I don't, I don't, um, again, like I spoke about at the very beginning, I can be very destination oriented and that's because I can, I can pinpoint an end point. Like I know where I want to kind of end. Um, but I don't think with spirituality and with the, you know, the whole religious spiritual practice that 
I don't really know. There's, I don't know what the end point is. So I don't have anything to grasp onto. So I really free flow through my spiritual practices. I mean, it could be anything from reading to taking a walk with the dogs to having a good conversation with somebody to meditating or doing yoga or, you know, just listening to the birds chirp. I mean, those are all to me, essential forms of, um, uh, connecting with the self. And, um, you know, I think that, I don't think you just have to sit, sit and meditate to be spiritual. You mentioned that you were going through a, a pretty rough time recently. I don't know if you're comfortable with sharing exactly what you were going through. Um, but ultimately how did you get out of that, that bad period? Sure. Uh, yeah, it was last summer and it was a breakup and you know, it, it, you know, I think for, <laughs> I always look at breakups, they, 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 they're like a, they're like a pyramid. I feel like the one that, the one that, uh, is ha wants it to happen. It's like, it's been bad for a while and it gets worse. And then once it finally happens, they actually start to come down off of it and feel better. But, uh, but that, but it's the opposite for the other person. It's like, they are the ones that all of a sudden are like, oh, now we're here. And it's like, that's the worst point in time. And they have to kind of go through that. You know, they have to go through the, the acceptance of it. So, but the peak is uh, the peak sort of transfers, transfers pain. And so, um, I think that, uh, I think that that was me and I just, I, you know, I had, I had to process and understand and, and come to my own conclusions on a lot of things and, and did a lot of self-work. And that's kind of, you know, if, if somebody were to ask me, what are you most proud of? Uh, I would say accountability. And I think that's across the board for everything that I do, whether it was driving a race car or whether it's been, you know, healing a broken heart, it was accountability. What's my part in this? What was I meant to see? Where did this pattern come from? How do I heal this pattern? How do I stop this cycle? Mm. And so, you know, looking at myself um, was, uh, you know, a really powerful thing to do. It doesn't, and it doesn't, you know, I think, you know, the things that kind of peek in there, are like, doesn't mean it's not someone else's fault. Some things that happen, that doesn't mean that it just means how are you going to move on? And what is your, what is your part in this dynamic? Mm. And, um, cause it, it, the other person really doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. So, mm. uh, how you get to that better place or how I got to that better place is really like full accountability and looking at my part in, um, in the dynamic and, uh, it kind of shifted everything. I think I, I think that we as people tend to we were our our subconscious is programmed in the first um, from the last trimester into the first six to eight years of our life is when we when we program the subconscious and all the patterns that we have and so you know it's breaking those patterns it, when we when we have cycles and patterns in life it's really hard to see them because we think it's just us right and mm -hmm. I don't know we're just this is just us and how our life goes and I'm just really unlucky or I'm just really whatever but it's a pattern that comes from childhood and so um, you know, learning about those is incredibly powerful. And, you know, as I say to say to so many, you know, as a parent, you're going to screw your kids up. You are period. Um, you know, you're going to love them too much. You're going to love them too little, but either way, they're going to come away with something that needs healing and some imbalance. And so, um, accountability is a really big part of that.
I was speaking with Dr. Shafali recently about how we are going to mess the kids up, so don't be afraid of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, accountability is one of those big things that we all need to to realize and go back to each and every day. It's mm-hmm. I like how you mentioned where's my part in this. Mm-hmm. I think we we tend to pass the buck and blame because it's easy to blame once again. It's easy to pass on all the hurt, all the baggage to somebody else, but you're saying no be accountable to yourself that's mm-hmm. the most important thing and that helps you accept the healing and accept the growth that comes from the hurt so mm-hmm. i love that um this is a this may be a, a difficult question to answer but um we'll see how we go having gone, go. gone through all the the difficult breakups and uh, i guess you could say the craziness of driving in cars and the speed and um what do you love the most about yourself Hmm. why um let's see i mean other than answering like i've learned how to be accountable um i would say what do i love most about myself i have uh i love how much energy i have i i am i am hard to tire although once you put me on the couch with a show on it's I'm like, I'm like four blinks away from falling asleep once it hits. So, uh, I can fall asleep a little quick then, but I have a lot of energy, um, a lot of ambition. I'm, I'm a real self-starter. Like I don't need someone to tell me to go work out. I don't need someone to tell me to eat healthy. I don't need, I, I don't need someone to tell me to be ambitious. I don't need someone to tell me to want to achieve great things. Um, I'm a self-starter. Um, I, um, I have big dreams. Like I, I'm not afraid to dream big. I love that. I love that. I believe that it's possible to accomplish anything. Like is some, if somebody's going to accomplish it, well, might as well be me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> some I'm, I'm, I love running the four minute. I love being the first, the four minute mile story, right. The first one to do something. Um, that's not my driving force, but it's, um, I just, I don't like to be predictable. I don't like to be ordinary. Like if somebody calls me weird, I'm like, thank you. Because the opposite of weird is conventional. And I would rather die on my hill of weird than, um, be conventional. Mm-hmm. So so I love that part about me and I love that I'm open-minded. I mean, I believe in what I believe in right now, but I fully believe that you could tell me something today uh, that would change my mind on something fundamental um, based on the information that's collected. Uh, so I might believe in a whole different set of thoughts in a month or 10 years. Um, I don't know. It just depends. I'm very much a seeker, very much seek truth. And I'm, I think that's what keeps me open-minded. Um, so, hmm, those are some things I love about myself. That's cool. I love all those because <laughs> I, I feel like I'm one and the same with sitting down, watching a, a TV or, or show, or you put food in front of me as well. Like I'll finish the food and then I'll feel really lethargic and just collapse. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, all the other things that you mentioned, um, I, I don't have to be told to get up in the morning, go for a run, exercise, eat properly. I've kind mm-hmm. of like had a pretty crazy journey getting to that point in, in the first place, nine days in hospital because uh, oh. of what I did to myself. I actually did CrossFit, so I think you can you can relate oh, to that as wow. well. Um, okay, what did you do? I mean, CrossFit <laughs> is 
Look, my sister said it best. So my sister and I went and got our L1 like, I don't know, a few years back. And as we're driving, we did it at the ranch in California too, which is where it started. It all started at the ranch wow. in, in Northern California. Um, and so we were on our way to the ranch for the course. And she's like, you know, CrossFit doesn't get you hurt. Your ego gets you hurt. And I'm like, that's... Oh so true. <laughs> that is so true because it's when your, your form goes and then you keep going and it's like your ego goes, come on, you can do it. One Don't more. be last, be first, you know, like one more or like one more muscle up and then you tear your rotate, tear your shoulder, your pec muscle. I mean, it's totally the ego, but what the hell landed you in hospital for nine days? Oh, you're going to laugh at this. So so I was doing CrossFit. I was very much crazy intense with it. So the ego for me was I've got to do two sessions a day. Sometimes it were two hours. Nuts. Um, and I did not listen to anyone at all. I actually uh, tore uh, a muscle in my shoulder doing a muscle up. And granted, I kept going. <laughs> I kept doing more of the ring muscle ups. Kept going while the tear. Did I just there. tell this story? I think I just told this story. You just told it. So, but uh, I finally, what happened was I couldn't afford to keep going to the gym. So I started doing outdoor workouts. Started running, and while I was running, I ended up running for two hours in a, every single morning. Plus doing a forty-minute workout that was CrossFit style with the local uh, bars down down the road from my house i wasn't replacing any of the the energy that i burned with the right nutrition i was eating a one kilo bag of spinach a day plus cheese sauce i know it's nuts <laughs> it was stupid but my bowel was not happy at all and i did not listen to it i kept going i was in absolute agony going to the toilet sorry to paint the vivid picture and I ended up literally collapsing uh, one one morning, and I couldn't really move. My bowel was blocked, like like concrete. So how do you unblock a blocked drain? You you gotta yeah blast it, <laughs> essentially. So I spent four days in hospital uh, trying to unblock my bowel. Didn't mm. happen. And then I also had to watch my kidneys because they were dehydrated. So there was a number of other things that I did wow. to myself that just weren't making things go my way. So I basically told the doctor, I want to get out of hospital. So I got out of hospital. Then basically a week later, another five days, I was in hospital um, blocking the blocked bowel. Because you continue to eat spinach and cheese? Yeah. Yeah, continue to do it. <laughs> I mean, so. it's, I, I mean, it's, it, you know, I think that there's, it's can have too much of a good thing too. And I fall in the side that you do where I train too much. So it's like, I, you know, did, I mean, I make up my own workouts at home. I have yeah. a, I wrote a book and I wrote all the workouts for the book and, you know, I've done CrossFit at gyms for sure. Like I learned how to do it there, but I love to build my own home gyms and especially with CrossFit, it's easy to do that. Um, but the idea that I can do too much, even yep. if I can do it is weird to me. I'm like, but if I can, it seems like I should, could, should, why, why shouldn't I, you know, why like shouldn't I, if a little is good, a lot is better. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I'm not very good at the recovery either. And my boyfriend was just talking about recovery stuff. And I am looking over at the book. I interviewed a guy named Ben Greenfield earlier. Um, 
who wrote a book called Boundless. Mm. And he's a big biohacker guy. And, um, you know, just looking at it and looking at recovery and looking at all those different modalities, it's like, that's what I'm starting to get into too. I'm like, shoot, I'm like, I need an infrared sauna. I need a cold plunge bath. I need all these things. I mean, I'm actually standing on a grounding mat underneath my feet. I'm not standing, I'm sitting right now, but it's under my feet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time backing off myself. I pretty much, I, I pretty much feel lazy if I don't do two physical activities a day. Same. <laughs> I go nuts. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm sure like it might be a workout and a walk, but at least it, or like a workout and a hike, mm. but it's also maybe a workout and a yoga. It might be workout and a run. It might, it's like, if I don't do two things, I kind of feel lazy. One and the same. Once again, like. I hope my bowels, my, my bowels, I'll take notice. If I skip a day, I'm just gonna, I, I don't know. I guess I'll coffee enema. That was one of the things that Ben was talking about. He's like, I do a coffee enema like once a week or once every coffee. I'm like, <laughs> just, just maybe that's all what I do. What I did. Sorry. In, in, oh man. I need a one kilo bag of spinach or cheese sauce like every single day for months on end and then run two hours a day. Like that's just, that's just stupid. <laughs> okay. Well, where did you, okay. Well, where did you land with, with fitness then? Where, where was your, where have you found your, um, happier medium right now? So I will not extend if I can't extend, like I've been more in tune now with my body and mm -hmm. listening to it because there's a number of things that are going on in my life with my health that I've sort of like, Hey, I'm not invincible, even though I like to think so. Um, so I've just sort of like taken a step back. I mean, I still exercise, I still do something every single day, but I'm not going to push myself to the extreme because I know I'll end up in hospital again. And I don't, I don't like hospitals. So, mm. um, that's where I've sort of my relationship with food, my relationship with fitness, overall health, well-being. it's mm. getting my mind right, getting my ego in check. Mm -hmm. Um, and just saying, look, I, I am, I am who I am today. That's enough. And, you know, if I don't exercise today, then it's a rest day. It's all right. There's always going to be tomorrow. Or I hope there's going to be tomorrow. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's where I'm at, to be honest with you. Mm. Are you a Leo? You seem like a Leo. I was born in August. Is that a Leo? Uh, March, April, May, June, July. You might be. Yeah. Yeah. I've never looked into it that much. You've never looked at your sign? You don't know what no. sign you are? No. Oh, man. That's another thing I've got to look into. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, so, yeah, March, April, May, June, July, August. But you're, what did you say? You're early? I'm uh, late August. What? What's the number? The 29th. Mm, no, you might be a, oh, no. Yeah, you're a Virgo. Ah. You might be a Virgo. I might be a toss between Virgo and Leo. Who knows? Yeah. Virgo. So Leo's are very, very fire, you know, lots of energy also like to do things on stage. Like they're kind of presenting, you know, have a show, things like that. Um, and, uh, lots of energy though, and lot, very inspirational. And the Virgo is someone who's really analytical, detail oriented, perfectionist, health conscious, health conscious, and has a really hard time giving themselves credit for the success that they've achieved. Yeah. I'm a bit of both. <laughs> Definitely a bit of both. Okay. Um, 
Danica, I really love this conversation. I have one final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. It's okay. a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want? that film to say and to show about your life. Mm. This makes me feel like uh, I wrote my obituary a year or two ago. I thought this is a good exercise to write my obituary, mm. um, to reverse engineer my life, to go, how do I want to be remembered? Because that seemingly gets to more of the depth of what, what, how your life should go. Um, so I would like to think that, I looked absolutely buff, ripped, and attractive in every single photo, like perfect. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would like, I would like to, I would like there to be photos where I'm laughing a lot. Um, I would love for there to be photos of all of you know the things, the phases, the seasons of my life, the chapters of my life. Um, <clears throat> I'm okay with the ups and downs, but I also hope there's lots of smiling photos. And, um, I mean, what, what I want said about me, I would hope that, I just hope that people can look back, people would look back and, and, and reminisce or ruminate on what I was able to help them accomplish within themselves in their own life. So the inspirational aspect of things, the the um, leading by example, but also being there to show, you know, to help them along in their journey, to wake them up to certain things that they've maybe never thought of before. And because of her, I did this and I thought differently. And then I looked into that and it led me down this path. And it's like, I, I would want, I, I hope that my existence here on earth would um, have brought the people that I touched in their lives, um, forward progression in their evolution of consciousness, happiness, um, and peace. Perfect yeah. send off message. People can find <laughs> you, uh, pretty intense is your podcast. Go and listen to it, everybody. And they can find you on Instagram, I believe, uh, and Facebook. Yeah, just my name. Yeah. And then, you know, we didn't talk about it at all, but if, uh, if, um, some of these topics bring you any kind of sorrow or make you want to celebrate, I also make wine. So, um, <laughs> I forgot about that. I was, I was That's okay. Thinking, no, maybe next it's, time. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. But, um, yeah, it's, it's fun to do that. Um, so it's like, I have currency now, whenever I go anywhere, I just bring a bottle of my wine. <laughs> Uh, well, I can't wait to try some uh, when I get over there on a plane. <laughs> but yes, uh, exactly. Thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. It was a fun conversation. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Storybox 
on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.